innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend, I elevate it Make it way harder for them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff, rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight! Hey y'all, anything going on with your Jiu-Jitsu Academy? Yeah, mine too. The coronavirus has disrupted life in basically all aspects throughout the world, and we're no exception. So a bunch of the academies here in the Northwest, mine included, have closed. We closed March 12th as a precautionary measure, and a bunch of other academies followed suit before our state's governor, Jay Inslee, declared that non-all essential businesses closed. So all the restaurants are closed, all the bars are closed, and of course all the jiu-jitsu academies are closed. I strongly believe this is the right thing to do, and so do some of the people who whose voices you'll hear on this podcast. Um, We all have to pull together in this time, not just for the public health situation, but also for the economic situation that we're going to come out of. It's the type of thing that is going to touch every life in one way or another. And what we do now is going to determine how low or high the impact is on lives coming out of this. And so uh, we closed preemptively, and so did a bunch of other academies. I decided to have a roundtable with a bunch of academy owners in different life situations. From both coasts, uh, Cody Malte from Elevate MMA uh, in Durham, North Carolina joined me, as well as James Foster, uh, who's owned his own school for 17 years, uh, just south of Seattle in Kent, Washington, Hillary Van Ornum in Portland, Oregon, and Cindy Hales of Sleeper Jiu-Jitsu in Linwood, Washington. We all talked about what we're doing to sort of combat the coronavirus while also serving our students and members of our academies. Because as we all know, and if you listen to this podcast, you're on this same page already, jujitsu is a way of life and people need it. And how do you continue to provide jujitsu service in a time where we can't get within six feet of each other? Those are some of the questions that we grappled with, uh, pun fully intended, over the next hour. Uh, all of these people are really smart and thoughtful, and they're all in different positions. Some of us, uh, like Professor James, have owned and operated a school full-time for almost 20 years. Some of us, like myself, uh, Hillary, and Cindy, have just opened our schools in the past year. Cody's in the middle position, having opened his school a little bit over five years ago. We all face similar challenges, but also distinct ones. And so if you're listening to this, and you're a jiu-jitsu student, I hope that you hear some ideas in here and hear a little hope from the future. Hopefully you get some ideas about some of the things that each of us are doing. It was really productive to have a conversation with all of these folks because each of us had come up with a thing that the others had not. And so nobody really knows how this is going to play out. I think anybody that tells you that they do is either a brilliant epidemiologist or wishfully thinking. Um, But Here's what we can do. We can continue to follow the CDC protocols. We continue to social distance and we continue to hope for the best as we maintain a vision on the life we want, even as we're kind of trapped in the lives that we have. So over the next hour, we're going to be talking about ways that academy owners can still serve their students while also protecting the public health. You are also going to hear about how we can pull together as a jujitsu community to make this a little easier on everybody. If you hear an idea and you want to make that idea happen, by all means, do so with our blessing. If you don't hear an idea, but you have one, please feel free to email it to me at jeff at dirtywhitebelt.com. I'd love to hear it, and I'd love to spread more ideas about how we can continue to do jujitsu while also protecting the public health and how academy owners can keep their doors open while also providing value to their students. So email that to me at jeff at dirtywhitebelt.com. One idea I had I want to talk to you about, and you'll hear us talk about this a little bit, um, I've just produced my first instructional. It's tentatively entitled Omoplata Palooza or Omoplata Rama. We haven't decided yet, but it's an instructional on the Omoplata. I'm giving it away for free to my academy members as a thank you for hanging with us during these troubled times. Uh, it should be up in the next week or so at omoplatasystem.com. When we do start selling it externally, I've already decided that I wouldn't feel right profiting during this time. And so we're going to give away all the proceeds. And we're deciding on either giving it away to a public health charity 
and your suggestions are welcome, or giving it away to academy owners in need. The Grappler's Guide has a fund set up for academy owners that are in trouble coming out of this crisis. I really admire that. I think that's a great idea as well. So that's something that we're considering. If you know of a great charity that could use our support, would you email it to me at jeff at dirtywhitebelt.com? I would really appreciate it. And uh, in about a week or so, check out omoplatasystem.com and all that will be online. And I'm hoping that you will enjoy it as much as I enjoyed filming it. So without further ado, uh, I had a great time talking to Professor James, Professor Cindy, Professor Hillary, and of course, Cody, good friend of mine for many years. Um, I had a great time talking to those folks because in this time of crisis, community is going to be what sustains us. And so I hope that you will have the opportunity to talk to your awesome jujitsu friends in the same way that I did. And I hope you get some good ideas out of this podcast with James Foster, Hillary Van Ordem, Cindy Hales, and Cody Malte. So, so one of the reasons that I wanted to get all of us together is that we're all school owners, but there's a wide array of difference in between like how long we've been running our schools. And uh, the thing that we have in common is we're all combating this global pandemic and this public health crisis. And I just wanted to talk to you all about how you're handling that at your academy um, and how you're making the decisions you are and how you're still trying to serve your students in this difficult time. Professor James, you've been running your school for about 17 years, right? So you're the longest tenured among us. Yeah, I've been running my academy full-time for over 17 years. So this is definitely a first for, I think, pretty much all of us. Uh, first time I've ever had to shut my business down in that time. And uh, I actually kind of saw the writing on the wall. I made the decision to shut down uh, last week, Friday. Uh, because I figured it was going in this direction and wanted to get out ahead of it and wanted to start getting to work on resources and things for my students for the, you know, impending closure. So I'm thankful that I made that call and did that when I did. As am I. I mean, I think just both from a public health perspective and from a business perspective, the evidence sort of indicates the sooner you get on this train, the less likely that the bug spreads. And also, as you mentioned, you have more of an opportunity to provide resources for your students. So uh, Cindy and Hillary, like, I, I may be wrong about this. We've, at Bellingham BJJ, we've been open about 10 months. And how long have each of your schools been open? I think we've all been around that sort of like a year or so, Mark. I was, I was going to say, Jeff, I think we opened about the same time. Or you maybe opened a little bit, but like two weeks before we did. And Cindy, you've been open about six months? Yeah, I opened in October, so yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I know that for each of us, and, you know, I've seen some of your announcements and some of your videos. Um, I want to talk to Cody, I'll get to you in a sec, because you're sort of in the middle with uh, how long you've been running your school. But, like, it was a tough decision for all of us, I think, to know what the right thing to do was and when the right time to close was. And so does anybody want to talk about, like, how they came to the decision that they did when they did? No, I came to the decision that I did because from a business standpoint, um, I was having a lot of students freeze their memberships. And as soon as the announcement was made that the Seattle schools were shutting down the Seattle School District, uh, I noticed a, a huge drop in attendance. And, you know, I, I literally had over probably about 40 membership freezes in less than 48 hours. Wow. That's a huge number. So factoring that in with the data that I've been researching and looking at uh, and seeing how quickly this thing spreads, uh, you know, that was what led to my choice to kind of stop the bleeding, so to speak, and just make the call to close the business down and work on providing incentives and things for the students uh, who are able to keep their membership running during this time. Obviously, they'll be compensated for that. Um, it's greatly appreciated, but I don't expect everybody to be able to do that. I'm, I'm getting a little ir irritated with some of the things I'm seeing, um, almost guilting students into continuing their memberships while their academies are closed. And uh, to me, they need to do what's best for themselves. So if they're able to help, great. If not, that's totally understandable. We're all in a very unpredictable situation, so... I totally get it if people need to, you know, hold on to their money because they don't know what to expect in the coming months. 
Yeah, it's a difficult situation, especially here in Washington State, where a lot of our students are either work in the restaurant industry or work at a bar and who have also shut down. And so it can be a tough economic time for a lot of folks. So, Cody, your academy has been open a, a little more than four years, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And you, want, how how did you decide that it was time to close? Especially because here in Washington, where our academies are, um, after we all decided to close, the governor decided to shut down all non-essential public gathering businesses, essentially. But like in North Carolina, that's not the case. And so you closed voluntarily. And I'm wondering how you came to that. So, yeah, so a little bit of background. Um, We just had our four year anniversary on March 1st. And, you know, ever since kind of the coronavirus popped up on the radar in, you know, that late December timeframe, luckily, just due to other interests of mine, I follow a lot of like risk probability people on the internet. And so for them, you know, pandemic outbreak and mitigating risk is, is a big thing that they think about, talk about. So this is an event that they paid a lot of attention to. So I, I just got a lot of information in front of me all the time. And so as I was watching what was going on in China, watching what was starting to happen in Italy, it was pretty clear that, you know, those different narratives that were emerging of like, oh, it's just the flu. Oh, it's, you know, it's only, it's overblown. There, there's very little risk. With all the uncertainty, I was like, well, that, that that can't possibly be true. And then because, luckily, because I follow you, because you and I are friends, I, I got a very close window into what was going on in Washington. And so right around the time that you announced that you were closing your school, I was making the decision, you know, I was trying to figure out what, what the best way forward was for our academy. And I was like, well, at the very least, I've got to hold I've got to stop crossover of the population. And a lot of people in our area in the triangle, we have a really close community, people cross train. And so I was like, all right, well, we just got to stop cross train at a minimum. And then it was kind of a crazy 48 hours where that we made that decision. We said, we're not going to cross train. We'll stay open and we'll kind of monitor the situation. And then the first case happened in North Carolina. And the second that happened, I knew it was going to roll pretty quickly from there, just based on how things had been scaling up. And so we just decided to once again to get ahead of it and to close and to cease and basically to do our part to stop spreading things. And as of now, there hasn't been a top-down mandate from the government to close non-essential businesses yet, which is still mind-blowing to me. And so there are still schools that are operating currently in North Carolina doing martial arts, which I'm like, I just can't believe from a personal responsibility perspective. Yeah, you know, it is weird. Like, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we were. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. Like, the, some, some of the schools that have chosen to remain open in other states, like a couple of my students have sent me this funny video that went viral where a guy is walking on the mats while his students are rolling and he's spraying them with, like, what is supposedly the the mat cleaner. And it's really probably, you know, it's just water. And it's like, right. Yeah, it's yeah. like, haha, it's funny, but haha, we're staying open. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a difficult decision, you know, to, to what – you know, Professor James alluded to earlier, you know, you're talking about people's livelihoods. And so it's a really, it's a really sensitive issue, but it's also, man, you know, global pandemic, public health crisis. It's hard for me to see the justification for, for staying open at this point. Well, and the writing was on the wall. Yeah. And we're all in it. Like, yeah, we're all feeling it. Absolutely. And if you look at the data and you look at how areas uh, were impacted where they didn't take it seriously, and they didn't put, uh, you know, the needs of the many <laughs> ahead of the needs of the few. I'll throw in a Star Trek reference there for Jeff. But, uh, you know, people that didn't take that approach, we, we have the model. We can see how things went. So ultimately, the, the number one priority is the safety of our students and their loved ones and, and all of the people they are connected with. And that's the ultimate, you know, driving factor behind the decision I made, you know, combined obviously with looking at it from a business standpoint as well and deciding, you know, what the best approach was to kind of take care of things financially and make sure that we were going to be okay, but also uh, having that number one priority of everyone's safety be the, the main deciding factor in the decision. 
Yeah, that's definitely the watchword. And one of the things I've, I told my students is, of course, I feel terrible that people can't train, but I would feel way more terrible if I caused somebody's grandma to get sick with this, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> so it's like I said in my uh, video I posted last night on IGTV, it's not about you or your opinion. And, you know, it's it, it, any one of us right now, I'm sure we've all lost people in our lives that we cared very deeply about. And if somebody came to you and said, hey, um, all we have to do is shut everything down for a couple of months and that person can be brought back to life. And you do that without thinking like the minor, relatively minor inconvenience would not be a big deal. Well, we have the ability right now to help prevent many people's loved ones from getting this and many of the people who are at high risk who won't make it if they get this, we have a chance just by being inconvenienced slightly to help save lives. And uh, I just don't understand the blatant disregard for life that I, I keep seeing in the kind of macho approach to this. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And so we've gotten the perspective from the folks whose schools have been open for, in your case, 17 years, in Cody's case, four years. So Hillary and Cindy, your schools have been open less than a year, about you know the same as mine. And so, you know, certainly, so I'm curious about the your decision to close as you're building this sort of fledgling business. And that had to be a difficult choice in a, in a certain sense, was it? Definitely it was. You know, I can speak for... Um, my school, you know, just started monitoring the situation, talking with my partnership team. Um, that we were, you know, early in the, the wave of the school shutdowns. We had some kids where their schools were shut down, other schools that weren't, you know, I run a lot of kids. So it was kind of like just really meeting with my students. I'm a small school. I can say a lot of kids, but not really a lot of kids, you know, a, a, a small school. So I'm like a little, a little able to, to talk each each person you know so we did it that way and just kind of as things progressed then looked at like you know making the decision to to, to close the school down and it kind of came in con conjunction with with um governor Inslee putting out that um we saw the week before you know definitely like tapering down and people more coming into the school as a way to kind of like process it i think with the kids um, and everything, just kind of talking about what was going on. And I kind of used that last week to to kind of touch base with everyone. And yeah, it's definitely, you know, um, you know, I was in a, for myself personally, uh, pretty much, you know, a little chaotic time prior to opening the school and now this. But I think, you know, as a community and everything we can get, get through it, it's uh, everyone kind of helping everyone else and doing what they need to do and just kind of pushing forward. And yeah, you know, definitely um, it, it, it's a challenge, but you know, it's good to have people to talk to bouncing ideas off, seeing what are the best practices um, to get through this. It's going to be, I think a, a, we have a long road ahead of us and like, uh, you know, looking at like we've been in it a couple weeks, you know, a few months and definitely looking, trying to look forward to how to create, a sustainable gym when this blows over. That's kind of, I think, really, you know, the decision to close. And now what can we do to keep our students engaged, keep everyone healthy and move forward as, you know, my personal gym, my team and the community here in the Northwest and, you know, worldwide, how do we use jujitsu for good from that point? That's really, you know, what I'm trying to focus on. Um, otherwise I can get a little sad, you know, so it's just like doing the things we can do and moving forward. Yeah, I think that's the best attitude and really the only possible attitude. And we'll get into some solutions-focused things a, a little bit later when we talk about, like, what can we do to keep our students engaged, to help build this the Northwest Jiu-Jitsu community, um, and uh, as well as the, the North Carolina Jiu-Jitsu community, which is a little bit of a different stage. We'll return to that in a second. Uh, but, Hillary, you, 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 our school is a bit open almost exactly the same time. And you and I also run similar intro to BJJ programs. And so it had to be a dislocation for you to have to close your school. Did you have to interrupt your intro program or was it luckily at a period between those intro programs? How did, how did you come to that decision? Um, our intro program hasn't started yet, thankfully. Um, it's supposed to start April 7th. And we sent out emails today to our general like adult members, our kids members, well, basically their parents. And then the intro program, with the intro program, we said, 
you know, we hope we can start it on April 7th, but that's probably not going to happen. But we'll let you know when we do start it and it will still be an eight week program. So we've had, we only have about, I don't know, six or seven people signed up right now. So I think the impact is going to be less. Um, but about how we started or how we like decided on closing, um, we in January left our local affiliation, which was Impact Jiu-Jitsu, and we're now under one jiu-jitsu, which is one of foster, like we're one of foster students now, or we're, I don't know, how do I explain that, foster? <laughs> we're, you are under the same uh, head affiliation that I'm under, so essentially I'm, I'm the unofficial uh, Pacific Northwest representative for one jiu-jitsu and your coach. <laughs> yes, don't forget that he's my coach. <laughs> um so, you know, five months ago, three months ago, I probably would have looked to impact to see what they were doing and what their recommendations were. Um, but they were remaining open until I think yesterday. And we decided early on, we were just going to follow what Foster did. You know, we're down in Portland, so we're not in the Seattle, like, epicenter for what about lack of a better word of like where all this is happening. Um, and Oregon has a lot less cases than Washington, but we're still so close and there's so many people that come between Seattle and Portland. We just decided we were going to stick with what he was doing. So Friday afternoon, I was actually leaving to go get my, um, I always do my nails before a big tournament. We were getting ready for Pan Ams and I was leaving to go to my nail appointment that I kept because I wanted to keep my nail artist in business. And she did these fabulous nails that no one gets to see now. Um, and we were like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And my brother owns the gym with me and my husband. So we were on the phone trying to make a decision. Um, but another thing that helped me make the decision is in December, we sold our house to help pay for the gym. Um, my husband lost his job in September, and instead of him finding a new job, he just, we decided to sell our house, pay off all of our debt, and come live with my parents. Now, my parents are 75 and 71, so we don't want to put them at risk. And my dad is a Vietnam veteran with lots of health issues from Vietnam, so we really wanted to make sure that they're safe. And that was a big part of our decision as well, is my parent safety. Wow. What a, like that. And, you know, it's, it goes without saying that I think you did the right thing, but like, but wow. And I think I've talked with some other folks who are in not quite that position, but a similar position. Like my mom's in her seventies now, as is my stepdad. A lot of us that interact with folks that are immunocompromised, a lot of my really good friends are immunocompromised, have lupus, things like that, where you just can't be putting those folks at risk. Absolutely. Same here. My parents are in that age range of the late 60s, approaching 70s, and, uh, you know, definitely weighs on my mind. My mom has uh, really bad lung issues, so she's definitely in the high-risk uh, category. And, uh, you know, today I was, I was nervous for them because my dad had to go in for a doctor's appointment. Mm -hmm. So I had him geared up like a like a hazmat <laughs> type of situation going in there wearing his rubber gloves and a mask and everything. And like, if you absolutely have to go in, you know, you need to protect yourself, have mom stay in the car. And the scary part about this is that completely asymptomatic, healthy looking people are infecting people through what all the data is showing. So when there's actually a new study that showed that people in their 20s can basically be carriers and never get symptoms themselves and end up infecting a bunch of other people. I saw that same study and like that is when, I mean, we had already closed by the time that came out. But yeah, that, same here. Yeah, thankfully. Because like it made me feel a lot, I mean, I felt great about this decision anyway, but that made me feel even better. And it's sort of like a lot of the arguments you had heard from folks that were justifying their decision to remain open is, well, nobody's sick. We just tell them if they're sick to stay home. And it's like, man, they may not have any symptoms whatsoever. Absolutely. And, and especially with as close contact as we are. And, you know, we have probably at our academy, we have anywhere from, I would say our average is like 70 folks on the mat at a, d during the course of a day. And so, Correct. If, if, yeah. and so if one person gets that, you know, with as close contact as we are, even if they're asymptomatic, it's going to, going to rip through the gym like wildfire. Um, yeah. 100%. So let's, let's go ahead, Hillary. 
Oh, I was going to say last Thursday was our last classes that we did. And Thursday nights are nogi night. And we, I was, I was really nervous going in there. Like, should we be doing this? Mm-hmm. And our kids class was first and we had, I don't know, like seven kids and our, we have like 13 total kids. Our membership base, I think we have around 50 members. I think it might be slightly under 50. So our total kids were like 13 and we had seven of them in on Thursday, which we were like, wow, that's, that's rad. Like, okay. And we, several groups of siblings. So the siblings worked together and um, then we had Nogi class. And I was like, let's try to do like solo drills. We were, we've been doing takedowns last week. So I was like, okay, let's do a clinch, but like not a close in clinch, but we had two guys that were like faces up in each other. And I was like, guys, like separate, like keep it like a middle school awkward dancing is what I said. <laughs> and they were just in each other's faces. And that's when I was like, you know what? We can't, this is going to be really hard <laughs> to do distance jujitsu. <laughs> It definitely is hard, although now I'm totally going to steal that description for when I'm describing how to keep distance in half guard. is like awkward yeah. middle school dance distance. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah. I use that for um, – And by the way, stuff. do any of you guys – Yeah. Do any of you guys follow Dan Lucart? Do you know who that is? Yeah, Trumpet Dan. Yeah, so he is doing something really interesting in his academy. So what he did um, – and I follow him because he has all the good like – insider Brazilian scoops. He'll tell you like who's going to win worlds like six months ahead of time. So he has all the cool stuff, but so his Academy, he's, he shut it down. He invested in 16 grappling dummies and then he taped off his mat in 36 square foot, basically sections. And then, so each student can sign up for a class ahead of time, hop on the grappling dummy in that section. And then he's got medical grade air filters that turn the air over and, decontaminate at the viral level and that's like the first solution that i've seen of somebody who like figured out a way to basically put on classes in a facility that is training because that's you know when when all this happens like how can we train and not be all over each other and not be passing illness back and forth and he's the first person i've seen come up with anything that looks marginally like a solution yeah, that still makes me nervous. I mean, good for kudos to him. Uh, and, and and I had not seen that. Um, but but I mean, I think and you know, I, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a medical doctor. I'm just some guy that likes to barambolo. But like all, uh, but that sort of and better science is coming out all the time. And and so from from my perspective, like the fact that it makes me nervous just kind of tells us tells me how much we we have yet to learn about this virus. Like it wouldn't surprise me if it if it had you know in two weeks. You know, I, I just don't know what to expect, right? Like, when's it going to peak? What, what What is really a risk? You know, so I would well, just prefer to be precautionary. Look, at, look at Italy and look at the things people in Italy are saying in, in hindsight or in the middle of what they're doing, you know, what they wish they would have done knowing what they know now. There was a great video today that came out where they asked them to basically uh, talk to the version of yourself from 10 days ago. Like, what would you have told yourself? And then across the board, it was stay in, you know, this isn't something that just affects old people. Apparently in Italy, there's even uh, people in their 20s who are intubated and in critical condition and things. So I think, you know, the sample size is so small, we still don't know hardly anything about this thing um, to be making any kind of statements about, you know, comparing it to being the same as the flu or any of these things that people like to throw around the, the sample size of data is just too small at this point. But all you have to learn is some basic math. You can look at how it's basically doubling every few days in Italy and, and look at what happened in China. It doesn't take a lot to kind of deduce the direction it's heading in. Yeah. All of which is a great argument for being overly precautionary. And so uh, certainly we've, we, you know, every school owner on this call has taken that approach. One thing I want to, that we haven't discussed yet that I really want to get into and, and, and Cindy, maybe we could start with you like, or, you know, I'll, I'll offer some ideas for what we've been doing to continue to serve our students in this time. But I'm curious about what, what all y'all are doing. You know, I hadn't heard the trumpet dance solution before we're live streaming two classes every day. (laughs) And uh, so we're, and it's been actually kind of awesome. Like I've got to say big shout out to all of the students at Bellingham BJJ who've been incredible. Like we've had, 
everybody's in the let's pull together mode and people have been on the live streams like asking questions people have been on the live streams like interacting and because it's weird teaching a class where you can't see people where you're there with one other person because as i often say like if you're teaching a class with 20 people you know you can look in somebody's eyes and understand oh you're totally getting this look at the next person and be like oh i'm not sure if you're getting this and they can ask you questions. And so it's been pretty cool to have people interact on the live stream and, and see that they are comfortable asking questions. It's obviously not the same, but it's um, it's something. And of course, and I like, and I think Professor James, you're doing something like this. I've been, you know, putting out videos of like solo drills, duo drills that people can be doing at home. And I'll, I've said enough, so I'll, I'll stop right there. But those are some of my ideas. And Cindy, what, what are some of the things that you've been telling your folks about Helping them stay engaged with the academy. What are you, what are you doing to try to try to keep folks engaged as this in this time when your when your gym is closed? Well, you know, today I started. We're decided to start first with you know making some videos for the kids. Like I said, teach some kids, and you could kind of see the a little bit of anxiety over you know the couple weeks with their school shut down. A bunch of my parents are now becoming full time homeschoolers. I guess everyone with mm. kids. I don't have kids, but. Um, you know, kind of starting with that, we, um, I have a, a, a kid who just turned it, uh, he just got his blue belt. So him and his three brothers, I've kind of enlisted them and their mom and the boyfriend, they all train with me. So I've got them kind of making videos. I'm kind of doing like, you know, our first one is how to tie your belt. Got a lot of new students, um, a lot of new kids that need some practice on, you know, step one, tying their belt and, you know. I don't have the yeah. most fancy way of tying my belt, so I kind of challenge some of my students to show me their way to tie the belt. Maybe people have a better way than me, you know? So <laughs> we start That's awesome, with, with those kind of things. Um, I'm looking at having some of the moms help me out with, we do in my class with the kids, like, what's new? You know, every day before class, we, what's new? And they tell me what's new with them. And, like, trying to do, like, a virtual, like, online what's new to keep the kids engaged with each other, with their teammates. You know, they're kind of isolated. Um, we're going to do a little reading challenge. I had already started implementing, you know, trying to get that in my school. We made a little bookshelf. People donated books. So I'm going to try and do little little things like that for the kids' team. Then just, you know, man, I've been looking online, trying to curate some good resources for people. You know, I really like, you know, BJJ Fanatics has put free stuff. Miyakatsu. Um, have the free coloring books, you know, all kinds of things, just like looking and pulling those things out, you know, I don't have to recreate everything, you know, there's some other great materials out there, kind of exposed my people to that, um, talked about like kind of everyone getting the same free video, and then we can book club, you know, as the adults around like an instructional video, and you know, so i just been kind of coming up with some of those kind of ideas, you know, it's, it's just like in jiu-jitsu being innovative, being able to adapt, being able to change what you were doing, um, that's the person that's going to survive. And so that's really what I'm looking to do with my school, um, to model that for my students, you know. Um, and I'm determined to get through it. And so, yeah, just try and keep a good attitude too. You know, you, you want people to to be able to, to be a little happy and not so stressed all the time. Um, it's a trying time. And, you know, yeah, those are kind of some of the things I'm trying to do. And just like stoked to be talking to people in the community doing different stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Jiu-Jitsu book club is a great idea. I hadn't heard of that one before, but that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and, I might have to steal that. Good yeah. art. Yeah. Good martial artist borrow. Great martial art, martial artist steal. <laughs> For real. And, uh, the, I, and I, let me tell you, if I have known that every amazing jujitsu instructional company was going to release a bunch of stuff for free, I would have not stressed making so many of my own videos, but because there are, there is some really cool stuff that I've downloaded. That I'm yeah. Same here, well. Jeff. I filmed a ton of stuff yesterday. I spent all day editing. I just uploaded uh, 14 new videos to YouTube that I'm going to be releasing nice. with solo, solo drills and everything I'm doing moving forward. It's going to be released to everybody. So I'll be, you know, posting those publicly and any academies can share amongst one another and utilize whatever resources I provide because just like Cindy said, we're going to get through this and I believe the best way to get through this is by supporting and helping each other through this and doing it together. For sure. Yeah, couldn't agree more with all of that. 
So, so uh, before we get to, to Hillary and what, what y'all are doing uh, to serve your students, Cody, I want to hear from you as the as the non-Northwestern representative here. You know, you're out in the Triangle, which is a different environment, and you have an academy that um, has been a real leader and an innovator in a lot of creative curriculum stuff. So I'm curious what you're doing during this time of closure. Yeah, so it's been interesting. And, and right away, I think I had the same knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, well, I'll just shoot a lot of stuff to keep everybody engaged. And then while I was on the sidelines this weekend, like getting the homestead set up, basically like Danaher's putting out everything free, Faria's giving away everything free. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not a uh, lack of incredible instructional material. So right away, what we sought to do was, first of all, like really reinforce the community aspects. We've really been focusing a lot on our Facebook members group and our Slack channel and just talking back and forth with people. And then a couple months ago, I tried out a program called Loom, L-O-O-M. Mm-hmm. And it's basically like easy way to video yourself and dub over while you're watching videos. So you can talk through. And what I've used it mostly is for after action reviews of our students' matches. And so I've been doing on-demand versions of those. So basically any student sends me a match and I just record myself and then post it up in the group as I'm giving them feedback and kind of coaching them and what I'm seeing them. So that's been a really good tool for us to go beyond just watching instructionals and, and to give some focus of like, okay, in this match, I saw you getting beat in half guard. You're not getting that underhooked way. You know, ideally we'd like it, but Bernardo Faria just put out his half guard instructional for free. That might be a good guy to check out. So we've been really like putting those two pieces together. And I think the other big thing has been framing it for our entire student body of like, this is a chance to step back and let a lot of the mental lessons. We compete a lot as a school and a lot of our guys have been really pushing schedule wise. And um, so it's, it's been a chance for everybody to kind of like step back and put a little more mental time in, let some of those lessons from a lot of the recent battles kind of sink in as well. So we're trying to frame it up as like, you know, every, the whole world's on pause. So it's more what you're going to do between your ears. That's going to make the biggest difference when we get back on the nets. That's great. That's really cool. Cody. I, uh, I did the same thing as far as doing the narrated, narrated, uh, match footage and everything for my students made that available. And, uh, I definitely couldn't agree more. So, one of these instances where I think a lot of us are on the same page with kind of how we're approaching it, which is neat to see. Yeah. Yeah. I, lo- I love that. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, I, I love the idea of narrated matches and things like that. One of the things that we're struggling with up here, or at least I say we, one of the biggest tournaments out here and the most well attended, the revolution had to cancel, uh, which is unfortunate. We, you know, that's, I think, in my experience, the biggest tournament in the area. There's a tournament. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and really well-run tournament, and it's the one where like I've seen the most competitors. It really sucks for those folks, um, and sucks for everybody in the area that they had to, even though it was totally the right decision. Um, there, there's a tournament May eighth in Canada that it's unclear whether that's going to go on. I, that was supposed to be. I was supposed to. Yeah. Be, yeah. So. I just uh, saw that they announced that they're going to postpone Worlds as well, IBJJF Worlds. Wow, I had not heard that. Yeah, um, I yeah. think that's a pretty new new uh, revelation that just just came out. Yeah, I don't think there's any corner of the jiu-jitsu world that is going to go unaffected. You know, students, instructors, competitors, uh, people that run tournaments, U.S. Grappling, which is uh, the, the, the best tournament organization on the East Coast, has had to cancel one of their events. I am hoping, and nobody knows when this is going to be over, right, yet we're waiting for the science, but, like, I had – and Cody knows this. I had, I'm registered to fly back and compete with all my friends in North Carolina on May 30th as like my first tournament in North Carolina as a black belt. And uh, it's unclear whether that's going to happen. Um, and we think we all hope it does. But, um, but you know, we'll get into some solution-focused things too after. But, but first, Hillary, I want to know what you're thinking about during this time in terms of like serving the existing students that you do have. Uh, continuing to keep yourself engaged, you know, with the academy, keep the momentum going that you've built. And so, what kind of what kind of stuff are you working on right now? Um, well, today Brian and I went into the school and we recorded like thirty three videos. Um, I they were they were all videos of things that we've recently taught. So hopefully, uh, it won't be like what is this new thing? Um, it's review and going over details. 
I kind of wish we had prepared it, but then when I prepare things, it tends to like go by the wayside when I start talking. I know Foster's going to laugh at me about that, but um, yeah, I just, we, we did like a bunch of takedowns that we've been working in the past couple weeks, a couple passes. Um, and then Brian did some solo drills cause Brian tends to run like the kids warm ups and stuff like that. Um, there was also, I'm supposed to be teaching a camp in Indianapolis, a women's only camp with like 200 women, um, the first weekend of May. And that's kind of on the, like, she doesn't know if she, it's AJ Klingerman, um, her husband's James Klingerman that apparently a bunch of people know, like I didn't know them until they came and visited here in Portland a couple years ago. And he's tremendous. Like he's a third or fourth degree black belt. He's super, super good. Great instructor. Um, but they have Indiana jiu-jitsu in Indianapolis. Um, but one thing I told her today, because people are asking, like, what's going to happen with this camp? And I said, well, you know, what can I do to help keep people from pulling out? Um, and I had offered the match review thing, too, of, like, well, if some of these girls need, you know, a match reviewed by a female black belt, like, send them to me. I'll do it. And I was thinking of doing that for our students as well. And then another idea I had that actually I just wrote down while you guys were talking. Um, I think I'm going to, I did this on women in women's class last Monday, but I had, we had like, I had 12 or 13 women on the mats for my women's class, which I thought was pretty, pretty cool. And I had, I think seven blue or up and then the rest were white belts. So I had each of the upper belts find a lower belt and talk through three different positions and how they like to do it. So I think what I want to do next is reach out to all my upper belts and maybe assign them a white belt to check in with, mm -hmm. to talk to during this time. The, I'm small enough that I can do that. That's an awesome idea, though. And I think that that type of mentorship is something that kind of happens organically at a lot of academies, but we don't promote it. And, and this is not the kind of thing that just needs to happen during the coronavirus, right? I'm, 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 I, I, I think it's a terrific idea just generally. Um, yeah, that's definitely a great a reminder of the importance of a lot of things that we often overlook or maybe, uh, you know, let slip through the cracks when we get busy. Well, and I think at a lot of bigger gyms, the white belts really get lost. And at, at Impact, it's nothing bad about Impact, but Impact is so big and there's so many different coaches that some of the lower belts get lost because they have a different coach every day. And that's one thing like we're really trying to just mentor these these new people and keep them engaged and keep them interested. And then by giving the blue and purple belts, we only have a couple purple belts. We have a ton of blue belts. But by giving them some responsibility and sharing their knowledge and their experience, it helps like entrench them. I don't know if that's the right word, but like it gives them some ownership of their own jujitsu and like, hey, I do know what I'm talking about. So yeah, that's a really that's, cool that's idea. Kind of my approach. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Um, and you know, it's something that I would, I think, more, more. And I think you're right that a lot of bigger academies white belts get lost in the shuffle, which is, which is sad. And I think you know, th there's a lot of great stuff about old school jujitsu and some other stuff. And some of the uh, when, when I was a white belt, it was fairly common to uh, for folks to say white belts aren't people. And you know, <laughs> and like they would, I, 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 one of my one of my instructors, who Cody knows, Jake Whitfield, and we're great friends now. But the first time I ever met him, he, my instructor Seth. Uh, taught at a different school as he did, but they were still, you know, our, you know, our, our team. And so I waved hi to some of his guys and those guys, you know, they knew me by sight. So they waved hi to me like, Hey, what's up guy? Whose name I don't know. And I waved hi to Jake and said, Hey, what's up Jake? And Jake stared at me for like 30 seconds without saying a word and then walked away. <laughs> and I reminded him about that like two years ago and he was pretty embarrassed, but you know, <laughs> but uh, you know, I think that uh, as jujitsu advances, like that sort of that type of old school attitude of like, we'll just ignore the white belts. They'll sort itself out is something that is and should is going away and should go away. You know? Hey Jeff, yeah. when I got my blue belt, it was um, the girl come up and i was like oh, oh. i guess that's me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like I, no. I was the only woman on the mats and he didn't know my name at the time and i was like oh oh me right oh my god that's incredible um yeah things that, have come a long way yeah <laughs> totally not the same thing at all but hoist gracie's name for me was the smiley happy little guy never learned my name Never. <laughs> to this day, he doesn't know my name. And, no, and to be fair, I am, in fact, the smiley, happy little guy. 
So Elio uh, Seneca couldn't remember my name, and he would just call me the Big. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, the Big. Oh. Hey, the Big. <laughs> That's incredible. That's incredible. Cody's nickname, those of you who do not know, Cody's nickname is Bubbly, or was Bubbly. I'm not sure if anybody calls you that anymore. I still get it from the guys who came up with me training. I still love that nickname. Yeah, right? It's like conveying... And as I've aged, I feel like it's still apt. I still like, I, I try to keep that, that part of my personality. You are as effervescent as you were 10 years ago. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I want to talk with the Washington folks about recovering as a community once this thing is done, but I'm wondering how that looks in the triangle because, um, you know, uh, when this is gone, whether that is two months from now, six months from now, two years from now, who knows? Nobody really knows. Like we're, we're not going to quit doing jujitsu and, and we're going to, we're going to stay here. And so like, what do you think are the kind of things that need to happen as a, a community to move forward together? Like after this crisis has passed? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people, and this is part of the reason that some people are staying open, a lot of people are just waiting for top-down solutions to be handed to them. Mm -hmm. And so that top-down solution might take the form of the governor saying, hey, like just happened in Nevada, you know, 30 days, all non-essential businesses are shut down. Okay, well, now our gym will shut down. And it's like, I don't think that's a good answer. And obviously, everyone this call tried to take as much you know, personal responsibility to shut down early and to take care of their people. Well, same thing. Like the government's going to come up with some solution to try to help us out, to try to, you know, limit the impact of this in terms of a recession. But I think we need to develop our own bottom-up solutions. You know, school owners, this is what I did, you know, Monday morning of this week. But if you haven't talked to your landlord already and started to work out some different terms on the space that you're renting, get a hold of them now and start preparing that conversation. And same thing with any loans you have out. I just talked to the organization that, you know, has the note on the gym and we already worked out different terms to kind of go through this situation. And obviously all that's based on the fact of, you know, looking at a two to three month timeline right now. And we already had that conversation that that may change, but starting to, you know, make sure that as a business owner, I'm making sure that I can have a business you know, 90 days, 180 days from now, because I think, you know, a lot of people are going to be just knocked out of the game completely. And that's not martial arts academies, that's all businesses. And, you know, I think it's going to be a pretty wild situation. And I think watching here what's going on in the triangle, a lot of good communities already springing up in terms of people going out of their way to support local businesses, you know, buying gift cards ahead of the time, for instructors who might be losing, you know, their income through teaching, like going out of their way to like buy privates ahead of time, you know, everyone who has the ability to weather the storm a little bit can, you know, help those that are affected. But I think it's going to be, you know, a very interesting time. And I think everyone's been, the proliferation of martial arts schools has been incredible, but I think there's going to be some pullback on the other side of this. And so hopefully, you know, a lot of people get to meld student bodies together and, and everyone kind of wins out in the end as a result. But I don't know. It's, it's going to be an interesting, you know, three, six, nine months, you know, everywhere and, and definitely interesting here in the triangle. Yeah. I second what you said about reaching out to the property management or the landlord. That was the, one of the first things I did uh, prior to making the decision to close. I, reached out and said, you know, in the event that we end up in closing, how can we, how can we work together to get through this? And, um, he's been just very supportive through all of this, which is really cool. He has the same mentality about, we all need to work together to get through it. So I think people need to not, uh, take it for granted that maybe the landlords are going to be hardcore during this. Um, you just reach out and speak with them. Hopefully, you know, they're going to realize that we're all in this situation and, and that we need to help one another. Um, otherwise, they're not going to have any renters uh, left after this is done. Well, that's one thing I was thinking is it's not like somebody's waiting to come and take the space that we're taking up. And our landlord is is great to work with. Um, he's He's super nice. We saw him out picking up trash outside today while we were videotaping and he didn't even come and bother us because I think he saw we were videotaping. But, um, yeah, my, my thought is I, it's, I don't 
they would rather keep us in business because there's not going to be more people that are going to be like, we want that space when this is all over. Yeah, exactly. There's not going to be a lot of people in the position for that. So it makes more sense for them to work with the existing uh, tenants as opposed to, you know, leaving a space empty for many months in the, in the fallout of all of this. Yeah, that's not good for anybody. And uh, I think that one of the things that it, it, it's sort of strange that, you know, like on, on the cusp of this, this is not a fully formed thought, but you know, there was talk of economic recession before the coronavirus even happened. And so one of the things that those of us that are concerned about growing jujitsu, I think should be attentive to is like, building interest in jujitsu more broadly. This is something, this kind of abundance mentality is something that Cody and I talked about a lot in North Carolina and about how, um, if everybody does better, everybody does better. And like one of the people, I know everybody on this call believes in the benefit of jujitsu to change lives for the better. And so one of the ideas that Emily Kwok had, um, that got passed around on Facebook that I know at least some of you saw was, instructor exchange after it's all done. Uh, so, you know, going to each other's academies, sort of promoting jujitsu, giving folks a different different angle on that type of instruction. And I'm just going to say to anybody listening to this, this is a, basically a standing offer for me of anybody within like a four to six hour drive. So, so take that for what it's worth, anybody in the Pacific. Oh, Northwest. yeah. And I'll second that. I mean, I'm right there with you. Anything I can do to help out my my fellow martial artists, you know, anybody who, who trains is part of an extended family that we're involved with. So, you know, uh, anything I can do as far as what resources I have, if that resource is me personally teaching or doing a seminar at somebody's academy or whatever it may be to help them, you know, recover from this, I'd be more than willing, more than happy to do that. Awesome. And the thing is, you're really good at jujitsu. I'm mostly good at messing around on the internet. So another skill that I bring to bear is, is, uh, is like one of the things that I've thought about for a while is just voluntarily helping folks market their schools. And so it's something that I find really enjoyable because I love talking about jujitsu to people who don't know about it. And I love reaching out and making sure that people that could benefit from jujitsu understand that, hey, you have a school in your area run by one of the first 12 women to get a black belt outside of uh, outside of Brazil or, you know, an international competitor, you know, in Portland and, and, and folks that are really, and, you know, and, and that's true. That offer is basically open for, for, for any Academy owner as well. Just like trying to help folks market themselves. Uh, I would be happy to extend that offer as well, you know? So just a couple yeah, Well, things. Jeff, I'd like to take you on a marketing talk. We've talked before <laughs> and, you know, I want to get up there and pick your brain or maybe now we'll have to do it, uh, podcast or do something because, and, and James and Hillary, it's just like really refreshing and nice to see like the continued support of the community that kind of everyone does. Um, I think that's kind of one of the, the cool things that I'm realizing with jujitsu just time and again is just everyone kind of reaching out and helping each other and just working to get through it. You know, I definitely am here to help anyone out that I can. I can come and help in your school anyway. Just let me know. So yeah, it's it's cool to see that and see the community and yeah, I think that's what's going to make us all get through it. Yeah, thank that. Yeah, that's well said, Cindy. And like, let's let's set up a call where we can talk about marketing stuff. And then when this is all over, you can come sweep me from Bora Bora Guard. For sure, <laughs> anytime. <laughs> so well, and on that note, I was just going to say thank you. Like, I've picked Jeff's brain a ton about this intro program. I've pretty much stolen the intro program for from him with his permission, mm -hmm. um, and it's been great. And we've we didn't have as many sign up after the first intro program was done, but Jeff, I'm so grateful to you and for you and all your help and like, yeah, thank you. It's uh that's very gracious of you. And again, great martial artist steel. So <laughs> I think, uh, another thing that really will help people and, and will and probably is something that people are contemplating or thinking about right now is just, you know, from a business perspective, how the structure of the business is set up to be prepared for the worst case scenario. Uh, one of my mentors calls it being prepared for the long winter. Um, thankfully, I've had a lot of mentors to try to help, you know, make sure I was positioned in a manner with which I could survive these types of situations. And, 
And I think a lot of um, jujitsu academies do not get run like uh, businesses. So I think a lot of the individuals we're seeing panicking right now and in trying to keep their academies open as long as possible is due to not having a plan for this type of situation where you have to close and uh, potentially keep paying your bills after you're closed for some of us, you know, some people are going to have to do that. So I think um, any business structure advice I could give uh, to anyone, I would be more than happy to do that. That's been something on my mind because I, I see that as uh, something that's missing for a lot of academy owners out there. It definitely is. I'm definitely a white belt at business. I definitely like like black belt at nerding, but uh, you know, social media nerdery, high level black belt. Uh, Absolutely, <laughs> business. <laughs> uh, so, folks, here's the question that I, I typically my, my my roundup question, which is: is there, and I'll just throw this open to the crowd. Is there anything that I haven't asked about that you really wish I would have asked about, or anything we didn't cover that you think it's really important for other folks that are listening to this to know? That's a, a pretty tough question with all the uncertainties and everything, but I think just the common thread I've seen throughout all of this in, in our discussion has just been, you know, doing what you can to offer help to others. Um, you know, as, as jujitsu practitioners, we talk a good game about uh, all the great principles we learn through jujitsu and how jujitsu changes lives and helps people through things like this and helps people in their life. So now it's time to walk the walk and actually show with action how we are able to help each other, how we can take the principles we've learned through jujitsu and all the positive aspects of that and apply it to reaching out to others and, and helping people who maybe aren't in a position um, to help themselves I think that's the main uh, takeaway from our discussion today or the main message I would like to get across and not to feel like uh, that you need to have a big position of influence to help because you don't. You can help just by doing something small like checking in on somebody uh, who you do know who's at high risk for um, being targeted by this disease. Um, help someone get their groceries off to run to the store for the elderly person across the street, whatever it may be. It doesn't have to be a big act to have a big, big impact on someone's life. Words to live by, my friend. Words to live by. Folks, anything that we left out? I think we covered a lot. And yeah, I'm just happy to have had the chance to have the conversation. Well, I'm grateful to all y'all for making the time. We're all in different positions on our jiu-jitsu journey, but we're all on the same journey. And it's awesome that we all shared the perspective that we're all in this together. So um, to all those academy out owners out there who are struggling uh, with this, um, just know that you're not alone and that uh, there are a lot of folks out there in the jiu-jitsu community that will help you out. And so my thanks to each of you for making the time. And thank you, Jeff. I appreciate you uh, reaching out to me and, and uh, having me on. Much appreciated. So that's our show. One point I want to return to, if you are a student and you're missing your training partners and who isn't, if you're an academy owner and you're missing your students and who isn't, I mean, I sincerely hope you are, otherwise you're probably in the wrong business. I just had a great experience with some of my old homies from uh, the Great Northeast BJJ podcast. They did a live stream via Zoom where there were like seven or eight of us. We could all see each other. We were talking back and forth, sharing ideas, sharing jokes, commiserating about how we all really want to train. And I got to tell you, it really helped. Um, just seeing the faces of the people that you know and care about and share things in common with is a really useful thing. And we're going to have to hunker down a little bit longer until this is all over. So if you want to check out that podcast, it's at the Great Northeast BJJ podcast page, and hopefully you subscribe to that. But it's also an idea for you. So if you're stuck in your house, uh, we have these amazing modern tools, video chat, Zoom, uh, you know, so use them. Stay safe out there, stay healthy, keep mentally strong, and we'll see you on the other side of this. Uh, this is Dirty White Belt Radio. I'm Jeff Shaw. Hit me up if you have any questions or comments, and I wish you happy training and a successful life.